This morning from 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been granted to the churches of Macedonia. For during a severe ordeal of affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For as I can testify, they voluntarily gave according to their means and even beyond their means, begging us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in this ministry to the saints. And this not merely as we expected. They gave themselves first to the Lord and by the will of God to us so that we might urge Titus that as he had already made a beginning, so he should also complete this generous undertaking among you. Now, as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in utmost eagerness, and in our love for you, so we want you to excel also in this generous undertaking. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So a little over a month ago, Bishop Snazy was our Barton Clinton Gordy lecturer. The first thing he did with us was he was here on a Saturday morning for a lectureship. He was talking about his book about these five practices of fruitful congregations, as he calls them. You knew that he had done a lot of research and put all this together, and he had selected an adjective to go before each of the practices. But then during the workshop, he made a startling comment to us. He said, what I've realized in teaching about this is I've talked about it with all these different churches is that the adjectives are really interchangeable. You could put any one of the adjectives with the five practices. So, for example, this morning we're exploring extravagant generosity. But he said you could also, instead of saying radical hospitality, which was the first practice, you could say radical generosity or intentional generosity or passionate generosity or even risk-taking generosity he said the adjectives are important but they really are interchangeable but they all point us toward the same thing and that is the quality and the depth of our engagement with our christian life as a follower of christ they point us to be more intentional or more passionate or take greater risk or be more extravagant or radical in our Christian life. So with that as a backdrop, I'm going to ask you to do a quick self-assessment about your own discipleship. I've put the question in your outline. Which of these adjectives, if any, apply to your life of faith or your level of generosity based on your faith? Now, this is a self-assessment. You don't need to try to assess me or your neighbor. Just think about your own life. Everybody else can do the same. We're not looking for judgment. We're looking for understanding of where we are in our spiritual journey as a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, Paul is writing these letters we have to the Corinthians. We have them in two forms two books in the Christian scriptures, 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. But if you read through these letters, rather than finding this stellar, ideal Christian community that you might assume he's writing to, you find out that these people have lots of problems, just like we find in churches today. They get petty with each other. They get angry at each other. They find themselves being really harsh and in conflict with their fellow Christians in their small circle of faith. 
They struggle with so many things. You just read paragraph after paragraph of what Paul is writing, and you realize these people have lots of problems. And Paul's trying to write to them to draw them back to Christ because they have committed themselves to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But then Paul knows that they have strayed. They have gone off the path. They have lost their sense of direction. And he's trying to call them back to inspire them once again in their commitment as faithful followers of Christ because he knows they are struggling. They struggle with trusting God enough to give themselves wholly to God. Now, not wholly in terms of piety, but wholly as in whole selves. They struggle to give all of who they are over to God's love, to God's guidance and direction as they seek to be a Christ follower. In this particular passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 8, where we're reading this morning, Paul's dealing specifically with their struggle with being generous, with financial giving, of providing something for others. Now, Paul is in the midst of one of these missionary journeys, they're called, where he's traveling from place to place. He's been with the Macedonians, and he's riding ahead to the Corinthians. So when he begins to talk to them today, he reminds them that he's doing this collection for the home church or those Christians in Jerusalem. They're suffering through a famine. He's collecting money as he goes along. He wants the Corinthians to help and to be generous in their giving. So before he begins to ask them to give, he tells them about the Macedonians. And he tells them, guess what? There's been this great outpouring of grace for the Macedonian Christians, for those who are gathering together in Macedonia. And then he says it's amazing, and he describes their situation in verse 2 of what we read. He says this about them. For... During a severe ordeal of affliction, their abundant joy and extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Seems like an oxymoron, doesn't it? That he's saying they have a severe affliction and they have a wealth of generosity. That they have an abundance of joy in the midst of extreme poverty. Those are not phrases that we normally put together. It's not the way we think the world works. And yet, Paul is saying that's what they're experiencing. In the midst of affliction and poverty, they have great joy and they're overflowing with generosity for others. It's an amazing thing that happened in Macedonia, but that's not the only place. I begin to think about my own life and where I might have experienced something like this. I thought of a vivid display of this that happened once when I was leading our senior high youth on a volunteer and mission trip years ago. We were working on building small houses, 16 by 16 or 16 by 12 feet. But we were working in a neighborhood where that was seen to be almost a mansion because most of the houses, most of the dwellings in the neighborhood where we were working were houses built of sticks and boards most of them with no front door, maybe a curtain for a door. Dirt floors, no running water, no indoor plumbing, no electricity, no gas. I think about any one of us, if we walk through that neighborhood, would say, this is extreme poverty. 
And yet, as we went to work there to build them a house with a concrete floor and cement block walls and real windows and doors, we began to get to know these families. They came to us and said, we'd like to provide a meal for you all before you leave. And we chose a day, and they said, we'll provide breakfast. We said, great. So on that morning, we got up early and headed over to the work site. Now, I have to tell you that most of us didn't expect much. We knew that they had very few resources. So we really expected kind of sparse, little, maybe a sampling of food, probably not even food that we were used to eating. But we were shocked when we drove up to the site to see what had happened. They had put out two large tables, covered them with cloths, already set out on the table were fresh bowls of chopped tomatoes, chopped lettuce, cheese, onions, peppers. It was stunning in vast amounts all along this table. But we were kind of intrigued because we were thinking maybe we're having taco salad for breakfast. But then they asked us to sit down. They served us our drinks, and then they began to bring out hot scrambled eggs. And then after that, they began to bring out mounds of homemade tamales. It was fabulous. My wife would still tell you today the best tamale she's ever eaten was at breakfast in that neighborhood. It was an extravagant display of generosity, a wealth of generosity. And they served us with glee and excitement and happiness. It was a juxtaposition of extreme poverty and abundant joy. Of neighborhoods that looked like they were living through some kind of severe ordeal. And yet there was this outpouring of generosity on our behalf. I could join Paul in his testimony, because he writes this in verse 3, For, as I can testify, they voluntarily gave according to their means, and even beyond their means, begging us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in this ministry to the saints. And then Paul goes on to give us the clue, I think, to this mysterious wealth of generosity that he experienced among the Macedonians. In verse 5, he says, And this, not merely as we expected, semicolon, they gave themselves first to the Lord. That's the key. They gave themselves first to the Lord. Because once we give our whole selves to God, it changes everything It changes our understanding of our giving and our stuff. Once we recognize that all we have and all we are comes from the hand of God, that God was creating before we ever showed up on the scene, that all the blessings we enjoy come from God. Then all of a sudden you realize, oh, it's not my money. It's God's money. It's not my offering. I'm only giving back to God's something God has already poured into my life. It changes our whole perspective on who is at work here and how God is at work in our lives. And we begin to realize it's not all ours, it's all God's, and we are mere trustees or stewards. God asking us to use what we have for good, 
to help him spread love and wholeness and joy and mercy and forgiveness in the world. We have a great opportunity to understand ourselves better and our discipleship differently when we begin to recognize that it all comes from God and we give our whole selves to God and God's guidance and direction. I think that's what's happening in this last week of the life of Jesus as he journeys toward Jerusalem. Oh, he starts out as an obscure laborer up in the hills outside of the capital city far away from where the action is he becomes an itinerant rabbi and begins to gain some notoriety but by the time we get to the end of the story he is ready to march into jerusalem and face the greatest power in the world the romans and offer himself freely as a witness as a testimony to how much God loves each and every one of us. Jesus is giving throughout his life, but he comes to this final week ready to give even his life to death on a cross. It's a revelation of a self-giving God working through Jesus, the one we call the Christ. Bishop Snazy, when writing about this points out that throughout the bible the stories of giving are always of extravagant generosity never a story of somebody just giving enough to get by just giving the minimum what's the least i can do to be a follower of jesus none of those stories all the stories about giving are like the widow that jesus sees who puts in her last two cents at the temple and jesus says notice her She's just given all she has to live on. Or the story of Zacchaeus, who was very wealthy, tax collector. After he meets Jesus, he says, I'm going to give away half of all my wealth. And in fact, anybody who I've done wrong to, I'll pay back in multiples what I took from them. Or the Good Samaritan, an oxymoron in itself. When Jesus told the story, there was no such thing to Jews as a good Samaritan. But Jesus says there was this man, a Samaritan, who when he was walking along saw a man in a ditch who had been beaten and robbed. And he went to the man and bound up his wounds, picked him up, put him on his own animal, took him to an inn where someone else could care for him and said to the innkeeper, I'll pay for any and all expenses you have in caring for this man. And in fact, I've got to go on, but I'll be back by here. And when I get back, any expenses that are not covered in what I give you today, I will take care of. It's extravagant acts of generosity that the Bible talks about as examples of who we are to be as followers of Christ. Bishop Snazy comments like this in his book, The Samaritan's generosity, like Christ's compassion, knows no bounds. Beyond all the teachings, parables, and stories, the followers of Jesus see in the gracious and costly gift of His sacrifice and death the ultimate self-revelation of God. The most memorized scripture of the New Testament expresses the infinite nature of God's gracious love revealed in the gift we have received in Christ. 
For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. God gave. Jesus gave. The Holy Spirit continues to give and pour out blessings upon us even today. The nature of God is giving out of love. Of giving out of love. It all starts with God. Paul reminds us, all of us of that in this first verse that we read today. Remember where he started? He says, we want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God. It all starts with an outpouring of God's grace into our lives. And that gives us the guidance and the direction and the perspective on everything else. Our giving at its best is based on the fact that we know we have received the grace of God. That we have already received the blessings of God, the acceptance, the forgiveness, the mercy, the outpouring of blessings have already come to us. We proudly proclaim that God created us, that God redeems us, and that God can sustain us through all things. We sing every week when we gather here for worship, praise God from whom all blessings flow. It's the biblical and theological basis for Christian giving. It should be the basis for our giving. The way of Christ is a way of giving, is a life of giving of our time, our talents, and our resources back to God. We begin to recognize it's more blessed to give than receive. We begin to realize the more we give, it shapes our character. We become ever more generous. God is at work to shape and form us ever more into the image of Christ, to be a giver as Christ was a giver later in the new testament in the christian scriptures paul's writing a different letter this time to the christians at galatia and he's reminding them of what it looks like to be a christian he talks about it as the fruits of the spirit you may remember he lists nine of those one of them is generosity the christians are generous givers by our nature of being followers of christ as Christians, our giving doesn't start with how much money's in the bank account or what our annual income might be. It should start with that we have received the grace of God. That's the foundation. That's the starting point. Oh, we might look at our resources to calculate the amount, but the amount does not determine whether or not we're to be givers. That's based on God's grace and God's generosity being poured into our lives. And then there's this last thing Paul says in this text about generosity and giving. It's in the seventh verse. He says, you know, he's saying this to the Corinthians, you've excelled in so many things, in knowledge and speech. I want you to excel also in one more thing. We want you to excel also in this generous undertaking. We want you to excel in generosity. Extravagant generosity 
the bishop reminds us, is a Christian practice. It's a fruitful practice for churches and for individuals. We want to all be able to excel in all the practices. Today, we want to focus on excelling in generosity, that we might know the abundant joy that Paul describes of these Macedonian Christians once they recognize God's grace is pouring into their lives, and they can share in that by sharing that resource with somebody else. I was recently with some friends who were talking about years ago, early in their life in the church, and how they really struggled with how much should they give? How much should they give back to God through the church? They had heard preachers talk about tithing, this giving of 10% of our income. They'd never quite gotten there. She said they really had stewed about it, and then finally they decided to take that step. They were just going to go ahead and give the 10% and see what happened. She said it was fascinating. The stress around giving that we had had for so long all but disappeared. And our joy in giving, even though we were giving more, went way up. We felt like we were doing what we had been taught, what the Bible advises in terms of giving back to God through the church. She said it changed the way they viewed everything. When special offerings came along or they saw needs of others, She said there was so much less consternation and worry about how much to give or could they participate. She said the gladness in their giving just grew and grew over time. I loved hearing her talk about that because it confirms the biblical wisdom and the biblical promise that it's more blessed to give than receive, that this really is not only a fruit of the Spirit, but a gift of the Spirit When we are taught to be generous souls, it's a gift for others, but not just for others, it's a gift for us as well. Let's be a giver like God. Let's be a giver like Christ. Let's be the church that excels in generosity because we can proclaim, we know the grace of God has been poured into our lives and it is indeed a gift. And now we can be ready to excel in this generous undertaking of God. Amen.